Amen. Good morning. If we can make our way back to our seats, uh, we'll get started today. I've got a lot for us to cover over these, this uh, short passage this morning of Romans 12, 3 through 8. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Joe. I'm the missions pastor here. Uh, if I don't know you, I would really love to. Um, I love serving this church and love this church. So in turn, I love you and would like to know you. Um, I do want to do one thing. Uh, for those of you that were here last week or listened to the podcast, you know that our lead pastor, Tim, is on sabbatical for a month uh, for a couple of reasons. And I would like to take a little bit of time and corporately pray uh, for Tim uh, also. If you live in the Liberty community, you know there's a couple of tragic events have happened in the course of the last week with the loss of an 11-year-old girl's life while riding her bike and the loss of a 26-year-old male um, who worked for Liberty Parks and Rec. Uh, My heart has been burdened for them this week. I would also like to pray for those families and for our community um, as we navigate those those events. So if you could, uh, let's open our time together with prayer over these things. Father, you are so good to us, God, and you are above everything that we understand. And God, I give you praise uh, for those reasons alone. God, I want to lift up, as we've just briefly talked about, uh, our lead pastor, Tim. God, thank you for appointing him and calling him to the position of ministry in which you have him. God, I know in my own life it is a delight of mine to follow this man. Uh, the way that you have called him to lead this local representation of your body. God, thank you for his life. Lord, I pray that you give Tim and Melody grace and uh, energy and comfort and reprieve and wisdom uh, through this time. God, would you uh, just hold them and uplift them, encourage them with your spirit as they are away for these few weeks. God, I also pray for the families of those that have Uh, lost these uh, precious lives this past week. Lord, um, we all don't wake up um, at that age thinking that it is our last day. Um, God, so, and nor do those with children think that. And so, God, I just, with a heavy heart, Lord, I lift that up to you, that you give encouragement and comfort. Lord, that you give grace that surpasses understanding to those families Lord, to friends of those families. God, I pray for Liberty, Fire, Police Department, Lord, EMS, and the Emergency Room Department, Lord, and for those that have answered the call to those uh, tragic scenes and answer those types of calls each and every day, God, would you give them um, wisdom and encouragement through this time as well. God, we pray that all of these things uh, point to your glory in one way or another, how you have providentially secured for all time. Lord, we present these things to you as a petition. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today um, is the seventh anniversary of my precious bride and I's wedding date. Um, So seven years ago today, we said, I do to one another. And the love that I have for Rochelle uh, is so much more today than it was the day we got married. And the love that we have for one another has exponentially grown over the course of the last seven years, uh, and that's by the grace of God. 
This year, she and I have decided to write a little short 250-word notes to one another to just uh, tell each other how we will dedicate our lives to one another for the next uh, calendar year. She's taking our, our kids to class right now, so I can tell you that I haven't wrote mine yet. <laughs> so don't, don't tell on me when she comes back in here. Um, but I want to tell you guys just a little bit about my bride. And there will be a point to this. I want to tell you that my bride is the most godly and wise and beautiful and smart and stunning woman that I know. She gives of herself to so many women in this church. And that's on top of loving me and our three boys so selflessly. She's one of the closest pictures to Christ that I have ever seen outside of the Bible. I have now said I do to her 2,555 times over the last 2,555 days. And I commit my life to her for the next 25,000 days of my life or until the day that the Lord has appointed me to come home. She loves me with such grace, forgiving me through all of our storms. She follows me with such humility Just a picture of a selfless and biblically submissive wife. She presents herself before others as a true picture of a Proverbs 31 type woman. She spends of herself as a great role model in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. She's God's greatest gift to me outside of herself. How my heart bursts with joy and gratitude and love and wonder She's here now. (laughs) Of how I get to, I'm so glad you weren't in here, honey, because we would have never made it through that. How I get to be married to this woman. She uses everything she has to love me and serve me. And I promise you, if you know me very well, I am completely unworthy of that love. And I say all this to make a point. A bride is biblically called to devote herself to her husband. We see this in Ephesians 5, uh, Colossians 3, and several times through the New Testament, the church is described as being the bride of Christ. I am an unworthy husband. Jesus, he is a worthy husband that deserves all of his bride's love and devotion and wonder. So how would I feel if I received my wife's letter today and it read, I will give you 75 to 90 minutes once a week. Even at that, I must have my coffee before I engage with you. I'm too busy to talk to you most days. I hope you will grant me my wishes and my desires. Please be who I want you to be. And do not ask for too much from me because I just don't have the bandwidth right now. I'm just trying to survive. When I do call for you, be there because you promised, right? Okay, I got to go. This is taking too much time. Thanks. I don't think I'd be super flattered about that letter. Yet I do believe that for a major percentage of the bride of Christ, we write notes like this to our husband Jesus with the lives that we live. And this ought not to be, friends. 
Several times in scripture, we see the church named the bride of Christ. Even more times, we see the church analogous to the body. In a passage in Ephesians, these two ideas are interwoven together. That we are to love our spouse as we love ourselves. And quote, no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. And I make these points to set up our passage for today of Romans 12, 3 through 8. We ought to love our husband, Jesus. And we ought to love one another and serve one another as we make up his body, the body. Paul's not ashamed to exhort the church in Rome to be so given to one another that they all serve a function that is indispensable. So this is where we're going today. Our main point for the day is that even is that every person who repents and trusts in Jesus as their Savior has been graciously granted supernatural gifts to build up and serve the church. We'll see that it has, as Paul has made clear all through Romans, we did not earn these gifts just as we did not earn our salvation. So they are to be used with extreme humility. So we only have two points today. The gifts are to be received with humility and the gifts are to function as a body. And then we'll try to apply that to our life. So let's read Romans 12, 3 through 8 together and we will grow in our knowledge of the scriptures together. Let's pray. Or we'll read, sorry. Verse 3, Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, We have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of the faith, of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, I ask for your word to be clear to us this morning. God, I thank you that we have it. Lord, that your word became manifest to us as John has written in his gospel. God, would you manifest your word to us today? Lord, would it cut our bone from marrow? Lord, I pray that with every syllable that I speak, if it not be from you, God, that it fall on completely deaf ears. And everyone that is from you, God, I pray that it unlock hearts and it falls on open ears and it changes who we are from the core, God. Thank you that we are able to even lift this petition before you, that Jesus, you intercede for us, and that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way that we can apply these to our lives, and that we are allowed to hear. God, be with us. And enlighten your word before us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tim has done uh, an amazing job at getting us to where we are today to see the worth and the value 
of verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 and how they're really the shifting point of all of Romans from the theological that was Romans 1 through 11 to the practical that is Romans 12 and following. We are living sacrifices before God. All of who we are is on the altar before the Lord. We are transformed. Remember that word, metamorphi. We go through metamorphosis when we have Christ in our life. We're new creations. We're commissioned to do what is good and pleasing before the Lord. So Paul, in verses 1 and 2, he starts very zoomed in here on the individual, right? And that's what Tim's brought us through the last two weeks. And I find it interesting that the first thing he does is he zooms out, but only so far as to go to the local church. He only goes to the church. So he starts zoomed in on individuals, goes out to a local church that makes up individuals, but is supposed to function as an individual, as a church, as one body. Each part of the body has a gift or a role. But Paul doesn't start this passage with that. He starts with a command of humility. Because the gifts that everyone receives are to be received with humility. We see this in verse 3. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul says, I urge you. Here, however, in verse 3, Paul uses a more authoritative tone and says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you. See, this is a command. For humility within the church is a command from the Lord. Now, the grace given to Paul that's referenced here is to his apostleship. He's using this phrase to qualify his commands to the church of Rome. And we, especially in our day, I think, must remember that Paul's not just a letter-writing, heady church guy. He's an apostle, appointed by the Lord Jesus, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, and moved by the Holy Spirit to write these commands. And he continues, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think, or must think. Paul here is leveling the playing field for all Christians. There's no room for haughtiness or puffed up pride in the body of Christ. Paul's letting believers know that they must not think of themselves as the center of this world. For that's not a proponent for unity within a body. But how often do we in America think that way? We live extremely autonomous lives in an extremely autonomous society where my needs and my wants almost always come before the needs and wants of others. We many times don't look at the local church as a family that I serve or as a body that I play an integral role in helping function, but as a service or a program, something I go to if there's enough time. We even call it that. We call it service. Which service do you go to? Are you going to that program or that event? Two weeks ago, the Gospel Coalition published an article by a gentleman named Sean Cross. He's a pastor of a church in Washington, D.C. It was about consumerism and this thinking of myself as the center of the world mindset. I think it's worth quoting at length, so I'm going to do that. He writes, Jesus didn't summon us to consume. This is made evident in the attitude of the early church. They did not ask, what am I getting out of this? Or how am I being fed? But rather, 
What gifts and resources can I leverage for this family? And am I counting my brothers and sisters as more significant than myself? When you look at the early church, you see service, not consumption. You see a household, not a marketplace. And I think in this passage, and what Mr. Cross is talking about is what Paul's trying to get here. He's talking about humble unity. Humble unity because no gift that any of us possesses is earned or achieved. It's all a gift from God. And Paul continues in verse 3. He says, instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Because humility and sensibility will certainly come when people realize it's not their achievement that has earned them the gifts that they possess, but rather a gift that is given from God to all Christians. Everyone who's saved in this room has a gift that's given from God. I mean, look back at what Paul's been saying this whole letter. For 11 chapters, it's all about God. Our existence, our faith, our salvation, our gifts, it's all a gift from God. And praise God for when Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Christian in the room, I praise God for your life, for the salvation that has been gifted to you, for the gifts that have been gifted to you. We are not who we are as a church without you. And I hope that that is an encouragement to your soul this morning. There's something I want to quickly address in this passage before we move on. I think it's important. There's been some debate about the measure of faith phrase. I know that that can sound confusing. Uh, Some people have seen this phrase as meaning that God gives different amounts of faith to different people. Uh, That's simply not true. The word that's used here to translate the 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 word measure in the Greek is metron. And it almost always means a standard of measurement, not an amount. So it's not the amount of faith that you have, it's the standard of faith. And in this context, the standard of measurement is salvific faith in Christ. When no one has earned any amount of their saving faith, and the qualifier is Christ's work on the cross, there's no room for thinking too highly of oneself. Because humility reigns. In the Lord's church. Humility with the gifts given is not just for humility's sake. But to bring unity. To provide order and function for the church. Because the church is to function as a body. That's what Paul is getting at here. In verses 4 through 6. The first part of 6. And within those people that make up the functions of the body, they're gifted. And those gifts are to function as a body. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul gives this amazing analogy of the church as being analogous to the body. And as Paul has just established the need for humility, here he furthers that argument by giving this bodily analogy. As every piece of our body is needed to function properly, as our personal human body so too is every person in the church needed for the church to function at its intended competency. So I want to illustrate that for you. The stapes bone is the smallest bone in the human body. The 
transmit sound vibrations to other really little tiny bones in the inner ear. Though this is the smallest bone in the human body, it plays a significant role in an ordinary life of a human. For without this one tiny bone, substantial or complete hearing loss will occur. In the same way, the gifts that Paul is about to list here in Romans 12 and in other places and other letters in Scripture, these gifts aren't one over another, yet they're all working together for the betterment of the body, of Christ's body. All the parts do not have the same function. He says that in verse 4. But as in our body, all the parts do play a significant role in the human body. And so too do all the parts and gifts of the members of the church play a significant role in the body of the church. Within the body, there should be humility. There should be unity, supernatural unity. As Paul goes on to say in verse 5, he says, Those in the church of Rome are many. There's a lot of people in this church. It's not just a few people. And they're one body in Christ, individually, members of one another. About this concept here in this verse, Pauline scholar Guy Waters, he writes this. He says, Paul does not tell the church to pursue a unity that she does not have. On the contrary, Paul tells the church that she is already in possession of a unity that is uniquely hers. See, unity in the body of Christ sounds how it should. It's hers. It's extremely unique. It's otherworldly. It works together. It moves together. It functions properly when all of its members are functioning properly together. Without one of us being here, it should be felt. We feel it, right? that you guys are stuck with me this week and Tim's not up here. I mean, we feel it when our lead pastor's gone. But it shouldn't just be when Tim is gone. If any of us are missing, it should be felt, deeply felt, because we're one body. About this unity in the body and the need for us all to be together, I love this quote by Pastor Mark Dever. He says, you can read all the Puritan writings John Piper or R.C. Sproul as you want, but if you won't get up an hour early to give an elder woman a ride to church in the morning, I'd question your salvation. Even the demons are good theologians. They know the scriptures. They know theology, but it doesn't change them. They're not a part of the body. They're not a piece of Christ's bride. If people want to see humble unity, they should be able to look directly at the local church. I mean, how well would I function tomorrow without my eyes, my arms, my fingers, my tongue? Be terribly difficult. I need every part of me to function properly that I can function properly and live what I consider my ordinary life. This is how it should be in the church as well. Now, I hope not to offend this morning, but I'm going to be very candid here. There are, very conservatively, over 1,600 people that call LCF their church home. We have roughly 1,000 here on any given Sunday. 
Over 50% of our congregation shows up less than 50% of the weeks in a given year. And I'm not going to even get started on that this morning. A few weeks ago, 384 people that serve our church in any capacity got an invitation to a volunteer appreciation breakfast. Now, I struggle to function without one appendage, without my tongue or my pinky toe or my stapes bone. How does the church function on less than a quarter of its people participating in the body? Could it be that for many of us, we do not fully understand the magnitude of Jesus' love for his bride, for his body? This is a supernatural God we're talking about. Supernaturally indwelling people with supernatural giftings. There should never, ever be more buy-in at a CrossFit gym than in the local church. If you're here today and you say confidently that you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of this universe, you have a supernatural gift inside of you, unmistakably, because you are indwelt by a supernatural being, by the Holy Spirit of God. This isn't about browbeating anyone to be involved at church. This is about showing what God through the Apostle Paul, is commanding to those that have been saved. This isn't a church thing. It's a supernatural God who paid everything for his children to know him and follow him in love thing. He has equipped believers for his glory. Nothing else. The stars were made for his glory. As Jesus said, the rocks cry out for his glory. Your life, your existence, your salvation, your gifts are for his glory. This church and the participating members of it are for his glory. And I do praise God for the 384 that do serve this local church. I am encouraged beyond measure that that many people See, to, see it fit that this is a place worth investing their lives into, and that they want to play their part in what Jesus calls his bride, this local representation of that. If you are saved and you don't play a part right now in the body here at LCF or in the Big C Church, please, I beg you, consider it. And if you are using your gifts for the church, I want to encourage you, keep going. Keep going. What else can you leverage and place on the altar before the Lord in this holy cause? Remember what Tim taught us about all of us completely on the altar, all the time, continually. It's a holy cause and it's worth every investment. In verse 6, Paul here, he uses... Similar verbiage to speak of the gifts that people receive from God as he did about the faith distributed from God. Both are given to the body of Christ from God. and Therefore, they should not be used uh, or mistaken as a measurement of one's status, but more as a tool for one's service. 
This is what your faith was given to you for and what your gifts were given to you for is a tool for your service for God's kingdom. And God is so gracious, friends. Even in giving gifts, they're literally given as a grace from him to us. See, the Greek word that's here, for, that's translated here for gifts is charis. While the word translated for grace is charisma. It's the same word, same root word. It's a grace of God that any of us has any giftings at all. But as we see in verses 6 through 8, we do. And God has given them to us graciously. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the gifts, uh, but there's two things that I did really want to point out. One, supernatural gifts given by the Holy Spirit do not substitute the commands that we see in Scripture. We are commanded to give to the church. We are commanded to evangelize the lost. We are commanded to make disciples, to pray, to love God, to love our neighbor, and so many others. These are commands of God. Because I am not supernaturally gifted uh, with the gift of showing mercy, mercy, that doesn't let me off the hook. For I'm commanded in 1 Peter to have compassion and to be tenderhearted. So I must do that to the greatest extent that I possibly can. Secondly, these gifts are not the thrust of the passage. For Paul talks more in depth about gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Peter chimes in in 1 Peter 4. But what is important for us today is that these gifts are used. Verse 6 in the CSB, it says it, use it according to the measure of one's faith. More aptly translated in the Greek, it's to the faith. The word is almost unanimously translated the. Use it according to the proportion of the faith. What faith? This faith. Everything that you guys learn in here is to the measure of which you use your giftings. It's the faith that Paul's been describing for 11 chapters. This majestic, mind-blowing, Jesus-exalting faith. We use our gifts to that end for that purpose, for his body that he invests in. Now about the gifts, if you have the gift of prophecy, which is the gift of speaking truth at all times to the proportion of this faith, not the thus saith the Lord or Old Testament or John the Baptist type of foretelling prophecy, but the prophecy of speaking the truth always. If you have that gift, use it. If in teaching, teach the scriptures. If in service, serve the church. If exhorting, exhort. This isn't rocket science. If giving with generosity. If leading diligently. And showing mercy cheerfully. Church, you are so, so incredibly gifted. You are what scripture calls a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a body, a bride. You are beautiful. You are beautiful to Jesus. Even standing here today, you are beautiful to me and I love you. I love serving this church. 
And I love seeing the supernatural gifting that God gives each person in this church. And I love seeing that on display. I just met with a couple this last week who just moved to the Liberty area from out of state. They wanted to meet with me as missions pastor because they have a burden for missions. And as in this text, they have the gift of giving with generosity. They're retired, yet the man took up a part-time job just to make more money to give more to the church and to missions. This isn't normal. This is supernatural. Who gets a part-time job just to make that money to give it away? That's a supernatural gifting. And how beautiful is it to see that on display? And this is what all of us has. In a different capacity and in different compartments of the church, we're supernaturally gifted by a supernatural God to do supernatural things, to look different to this world. So what do I want you to take away from this? And how do I want this to apply to your life? Brian and the worship team can come whenever you guys are ready. There's only two. The first is simple. Reach out. Just reach out. We had a spiritual gifts workshop last weekend. Uh, We'll do another one in February. If you don't know about spiritual gifts or your spiritual gifting as a saved person by Jesus... Come to the workshop in February. However, even that is not a prerequisite for serving the body of Christ. There were no spiritual gift workshops in the first century. But if you want to talk to somebody about spiritual gifts, you can reach out to Jake and Katie Wiley, Clay and April Berry. They would love to speak with you about that. Any of the pastors on staff would love to talk with you about that. If you want to serve this church, you can talk to anyone on our staff. I promise you there is a place for you to serve here at LCF. Within your small groups, your groups should be functioning out of your spiritual giftings and out of the commands that Christ has given. You should be loving one another and serving one another and being on mission with one another, functioning out of those gifts that are present in your group and the commands that Christ has given. Because we have to remember, right, that every person who repents and trusts in Jesus as their Savior has been graciously granted supernatural gifts to build up and serve the church. The second, which will inevitably secure our first point, our first application is fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with him. He's the only reason that you have any gifting at all. And this is what Paul's been talking about this whole book. You and I are wretched, sin-filled rebels. But God... Do you remember that text from months ago? But God, rich in his mercy, deep in his love, he has set you free. Remember, you are chosen. You are redeemed. You are part of the holy bride of Christ, the king. The one who saw your sin and saw the penalty that needed to be paid for it. And he said, give it to me. I'll pay that price. That's my bride, and I love her. The love that I have for my bride pales in comparison for the love that Jesus has for his. And yes, he died for your salvation individually, 
But don't have such a Western autonomous mindset about that. Jesus died for his bride. All of her. It's about so much more than you. It's about Jesus and his bride and his kingdom. All of it. Church, you are part of a body. And you make up the precious, precious bride of Christ. Won't we live lives worthy of that calling? Won't we use the supernatural giftings that He has given us to that end? And won't we function out of selfless love and unity as we anticipate the return of our husband, of our King, the Bridegroom, King Jesus? Let us worship Him.